This 10 Talks podcast is a production of the 10 Words Project from WUOT-FM and the University of Tennessee College of Social Work. Welcome to 10 Talks Bedtime Stories. I'm your host, Brittany Crocker. If you've tuned in before, you know here at Bedtime Stories we're highlighting some of the most common responses from people in Knoxville's communities to our current 10 words question, what keeps you up at night? And going through our responses, we've received more than 450 total responses. And we looked further into this data and found some interesting trends with the ages at which people move from one financial milestone of sorts, be it student loans, to the next, which is generally retirement. And with Increasing amounts of debt, some people are actually experiencing an overlap in paying off their debts and retirement. According to a new study by Pew Charitable Trusts, 58% of households in the already retired silent generation, that's the generation born before World War II and the baby boomers, they're still paying off a median of $30,000 in debt. And a recent survey by the Transamerica Center for Retirement Studies says that 44% of workers of all ages say not having enough money to retire is one of their biggest financial fears. A fourth of middle-class Americans say they get depressed thinking about their finances during retirement. A Wells Fargo middle-class retirement survey also says that 48% of those not yet retired were not confident that they will have enough money saved up to live the lifestyle they want in retirement. And one of the most sentient moments for me working with 10 Words was when my mom came to a public media event at Sutry's where we had the 10 words booth to see me at work for because it was our first event and she filled out a form and her answer to the what keeps you up at night question was not having enough money to retire and travel like she always wanted and you can imagine as a daughter it just kind of stopped me in my tracks for a minute I obviously thought she was going to say something like worrying about my children keeps me up at night So our first guest on the show today to talk a little bit about saving for retirement and what the stress that comes with that looks like is my mom, Beverly Crocker. Hello. So mom, as I research more about retirement, the hardest thing I have to look at with this kind of stuff is um, planning for retirement. It seems like it's literally planning for how long you think you're going to live. Is is that what it Is that what retirement is? Yes, and your dad and I have a financial advisor we've been going to for several years. We um, looked at with him how much money that we would want to have during our retirement years, how long we would have to work to have that amount of money, and um, if we lived longer than that, what would that look like? So people are living longer today uh, into their 90s and even into their 100s, and Therefore, they have to plan for a longer time. Also, people are not retiring as early. My mom retired at 65. That's not going to happen for a lot of, of my generation, the baby boomer generation. We're going to have to work longer into 70. In fact, where I work, we have several people who are past 70 and still working because they enjoy what they do, but also because they're still saving for retirement. Well, I just can't imagine you and dad sitting down with a counselor and trying to think in terms of like pragmatism, 
like this is what's going to happen if we live for this long and if we don't or just I don't know it's such an emotional issue well to me because I mean I'm I'm your kid but (laughs) well we I advise everyone at early in their their careers early in their marriages or early as a single person to start looking into retirement if you the um, company that you work for has a retirement plan of 401k then it's a good idea to get into that as early as you possibly can before that you should pay off as much debt as you can and uh, of course your dad and I have always tried to keep our debt load down we always pay off our credit cards every month and that's not easy for a lot of people Um, as you know I also work with single moms and and my heart goes out to single moms thinking about how can they possibly cover all their expenses and then think about retirement and what they would would need to live once their children are gone and they're older and um, you know still renting or might have a mortgage that goes for many years well I mean, and I know you're not a single parent, like you and dad both work right now, but I also know that there was a period that you didn't both work at the same time. Um, And like my mom, like you helped me a lot. And I remember that being like a big stressor. And I still think about that. And I mean, I, I feel bad. And what, what kind of sacrifices did you guys have to make with your financial plan, I guess, to keep supporting your kids? Well, our original plan many years ago when we started looking at what kind of insurance we'd have and how much insurance we would have, health, a life insurance we'd have um, on ourselves, was that you and your brother would be out of school completely by the time that your dad was 62, <laughs> and that didn't happen. <laughs> and your brother also is still in school. We are so, academic masochists in this family. But um, they're all very smart. It's genetic. Um, (laughs) Smart is a really subjective term. (laughs) So we um, we've taken a step back from that. Our goal, one of the goals we had, as well as saving for retirement, was that our children, if at all possible, would get out of school with zero or very minimal student loans. And so that's why we've worked so hard to make sure that you and your brother and and his wife have had fewer loans because it's very difficult for young people today also starting out to have a huge debt burden from student loans try to have an apartment in a starting salary job and even though I am encouraging young people to start saving for retirement if your company matches your what you're putting in for your retirement then uh, it's a good idea to go ahead and do that amount so that you get that match which is like getting free money and the company I work for, I put in, if whatever we put in, we put in. And our company actually gives us 10% of our salary into our 401ks, which is really a great thing to do. And But most companies don't do that. A company I worked for before, we got, if we put in 6%, then they put in, like 20% of 6%, which is you know, very little, but it is still something in addition to what I myself was putting in. Um, when your dad was underemployed, then he was putting some amount into his 401k. Um, now he's a contract employee and doesn't have that. So what we're doing is changing my 401k to increase the percentage 
in order to make up for the fact that he is not putting as much in because you and your brother are still in school. Um, that did not impact us as much as the fact that your dad was underemployed for so long because, and we're pretty conservative in our spending and we try to not have any debt if we can help it. So um, we are actually in a better position than a lot of people, but we still do not have a million dollars in our 401ks for retirement. And in, I read an article last week about um, someone had gone to their financial advisor that had a million dollars. They thought, well, I'm a millionaire, everything's great, but they wanted to take out $80,000 a year out of their retirement, and the financial advisor told them they could not do that because they would not have enough money to survive as long as their money would not last as long as they would live. So that's a that's a big thing because we as baby boomers are living longer than our incomes from our retirement has to stretch out longer. And what we are advised to do, and our financial advisor also told us this, is you want to wait until you're 66 or whatever your date is for full retirement. You want to wait to do that. Otherwise, your benefits are cut back. And not only if your dad retired at 66, and he got full benefits, but I went ahead and retired and took my Social Security earlier, then I would not get the full benefit of his retirement if something happened to him. I would only get half. So um, just knowing that Social Security is not enough made us want to try to put as much as possible in to our retirement. And having you all in school may have somewhat impacted that because that's another um, we expense we have to pay. Down a little bit. Slowed us down a little bit. But we have remained focused on that. And we, as you know, have not taken as many uh, vacations. We took our first one this summer that we had in a long time, but has not taken any costly vacations, have not um, bought new cars, not done a lot of things um, to that would cause us to spend money that a lot of people normally would because we are very conservative in our spending. It's weird, though, to think about the difference between, like, you guys as the, quote, baby boomer generation and how a lot of your lives and things have been built around planning on these things and retirement and paying into a system that is then supposed to, like, equal your pay at an office when you were saying um, at at the place that you have the, your retirement plan, like, at work, you you pay in and they equal how much you pay into the system and to millennials the idea of working somewhere that long at one place we're commitment phobic that to us sounds like a way or at least to me and to a lot of the people I know we want to move jobs every now and then you know just to to find something new if we're not interested in the one we're at anymore so sticking at a place just to keep paying into a retirement plan is is terrifying to us even if it's a great one, it, it makes me afraid now. Like, because someday, like, you know, eventually I'm going to retire one day too. And I don't have the first idea how to plan for this kind of stuff. I might just be a nomad or something. <laughs> is there, I mean, what hope is there for our generation, mom? 
Well, I know that Benjamin and Sarah have already seen a financial advisor once they But Benjamin and Sarah are graduated. Benjamin's my brother and he was born an adult and <laughs> his wife's just as mature. They're wonderful, beautiful, amazing people and I love them and have so much respect for them. But honestly, total opposite ends of the <laughs> responsibility my children spectrum. Are very different. <laughs> but so when you get your first full time job, then you need to look at do they have a retirement plan? And if so, you need to go cool. ahead and put money into that retirement. Now, if you had debt, you need to pay off your debt first as quickly as possible or try to put at least a minimum amount in there and then try to pay off your debt as quickly as possible. Baby boomers, in some ways, are very different from um, millennials, very different from each other because we are the, the generation that learned from the silent generation and we have the 401ks that started as we were starting to work and then has become more and more popular um, because people realize that Social Security is not enough. Uh, millennials do change jobs every two to three years. That's something in their makeup that they feel like they need a, another challenge. And so it's up to companies to make sure that these, baby, that these millennials are challenged in their jobs if they want to retain them. Now, if you are a millennial or anyone who moves from job to job, when you leave your job, that retirement money goes with you. It's your money. So you can take it, you can invest it into, you have to roll it over into a, in a regular IRA or regular account. And we've done that several times because your dad and I both have actually changed jobs at some point. So, um... And so it will continue to grow, and you can put into that. If you don't have a retirement plan at your company, then you can start what is called an IRA or a Roth IRA to um, put money into for your retirement. But the earlier you start, the more it grows. You know, you don't take it out. You just continue to let it grow. So if you start very early, you know, you could put in $100 a month and end up with millions of dollars 50, 60 years from now when you finally get to retire. See, I didn't know that it carried over like that. I feel like I just asked the most common sense question ever. Um, I don't know anything about this. And a lot of millennials probably don't. I know that we have a lot of young people at our office who don't understand why that they need to go ahead and start putting money into their retirement. Well, I know why it's important, but I just don't understand how the system works. Like the entire thing is just overwhelming. So I know, though, when we were little, I used to hear you and Dad joke about when you retired, you were going to get a Mustang and a Thunderbird and no. an RV and just hit the road, and that was what you were going to do. So is that still the plan, or what are you guys going to do when you hit 66 and retire? Because that's not that far away now. I'm not going to throw your age out on radio, podcast, you know, but, uh, I mean. <laughs> well, as you know, we have a fairly large house, and we intend um, within the next few years to um, downsize in house and uh, still probably have, we'll have enough room for our kids to come home and visit, but uh, we plan to downsize in house and, and hopefully we'll be able to um, take what we get out of our house and pay cash for another house or another place to live. So the motorcycle, motorhome, and um, Mustang have kind of went by the wayside, although we may still get a motorcycle. 
but now and we have talked to uh, we have friends who when their children started having children they moved from the the place that they'd been in the city they'd been in all their lives they sold their houses and they moved closer to their children and your dad and I've talked about that's probably something we will do also as wherever our children are we will be move closer to them and as you know I've talked about the dream I have where you're somewhere working in Africa and I'm running around in a long skirt barefoot chasing chasing the chickens and my grandchildren so we we plan to stay close to our children and close to our grandchildren um, as much as possible so if we um um downsizing house that will also give us some you know hopefully once we you know if we have no mortgage that would give us probably another based on what we have right now $1000 or less you know it could be 500 to $1000 a month that we would not have to pay out so by the time that we retire we plan to be completely debt free and have no debt and so all we would have would be our living expenses you know like um utilities food the biggest thing now that is an issue um with baby boomers and people who are planning retirement is what about health insurance? And so um, you have Medicare, but you also have to have a supplement because Medicare doesn't pay everything. Uh, you have to have um, some kind, something to pay for, for medicines. And as you know, your dad takes a lot. So medicines and for, um, for your doctor visits and things. And you never know when you're going to have an accident, as we have had this year. So um, just having enough money and having... Um, extra money to pay for those things are what we are looking to do and um, hopefully we would be able to we'll just have to look at what we have and determine how long we would have to work. I read in a in an article in the Washington Post recently um, a wealth management expert said that your chances of not running out of money increase with some kind of guaranteed income throughout your retirement do you guys have a plan for something like that yes we've also talked both of us have talked about having some kind of of um, job during retirement Um, I'm an accountant I love forensic accounting uh, and I have a a person who has a company in Chattanooga that I've already talked to about working part-time for her and doing forensic accounting also, I have a friend who has I never a, knew that. That's awesome. Who has a business, a small business, that I would be willing to help her some too. So, just because we don't work a full time stressful um, job doesn't mean we wouldn't work doing something. Um, we also want to travel, and we also want to volunteer for some things. Maybe mission trips. Maybe um, working with um, Ronald McDonald House, which we did some in the past. So um, the biggest thing in retirement is don't sit down and do nothing. And that is what some of the silent generation and some baby boomers already retired. If you do that, then your life lifespan is greatly decreased. When you quit working, is your medical insurance going to go away? Yes. So when um, we when you leave a company, when I leave my company right now, we have the medical insurance through my company. Uh, then my medical that medical insurance goes away. You can keep it, but the premiums are astronomical um, through the Cobra program. It's better 
before um, you retire. If you're 65, you qualify for Medicare. So you get Medicare, and before you completely retire, you need to have your Medicare uh, supplemental policy lined up. So um, a friend of mine just retired at work in December, and in like September, uh, well, actually July of the previous year, she started looking at the different policies and determining which one has her doctors on it, which one has the medications, which one has the best premium. So that is an expense that we have in retirement that people didn't used to have because when my parents were retired, um, before they retired, um, it wasn't necessary to have a supplemental policy. Medicare paid everything. Well, then as mom got closer to retirement and she's part of the silent generation, then she realized she was going to have to have a supplemental policy to pay for anything Medicare didn't pay. Because if you don't, now if you can self-insure, if you have multiple millions of dollars and feel like you can self-insure, you don't have to have one. But it's really a good idea to have that extra insurance policy over and above Medicare. So what is it, because the question on the form was what keeps you up at night? Like what's worrying you? And your words are literally worrying that I'm going to have enough money to retire pretty much the way I want to. Like what is it that's bothering you, that's worrying you? Because when you talk about it right now, you sound like you just have it all planned out. Well, we still don't have a million dollars, so we still don't have as but much as we've we never would. had a million dollars. But but when you think about how many years, if if your dad and I, if your dad retires at sixty six, and he lives for twenty years, then he's got to have enough money each year to cover all of his expenses, all of my expenses, to till he passes away. If he lives thirty years. You know, you have to take that million dollars and divide it out by the number of years, and they have a, the financial planners have this way they do that um, to, to see if you really do have enough money to retire Wait, at what point. Why would dads have to cover both of yours? Well, why dad's you and mine, but if he oh. retires at 66, see, I can't, I have to have some kind of, of regular insurance or use Obamacare until I'm 66, 65, because you can't go on Medicare until you're 65. So um, if I retired early, I would have to have some other kind of insurance because Medicare doesn't start until you're 65. So, you know, if we had a catastrophic illness and we didn't have enough insurance to cover it, um, that would be something that would suck out a lot of money. If you know, just if you, there are extra large expenses, because we always like to have a cushion to make sure that we have enough money to cover any unexpected expenses, not just our regular living expenses. So, and being able to travel and be able to do what we want to do. Can we do that if we have $750,000 in our savings, in our, in our 401ks or in our savings for retirement? Probably not. It's going to take at least a million dollars, even with our conservative lifestyle, and we're not there yet. So we're planning, and your dad and I were talking about this on the phone last night, we're planning to put as much as we possibly can into my 401k, and then if that it doesn't meet our savings goal for each year, then we're going to, as long as he's working this job, then we're also going to put into... Um, an extra IRA for him so that we would have enough money to potentially live 30 years after we retire. Or, you know, 300 
you're going to outlive me. It's mm-hmm. just going to happen. I'm sorry. So at some point, prepare we're probably... to be decrepit and like 250 years old. At Science s- is amazing. You're going <laughs> to live forever. You just have to. The dogs do too. You can't leave me. So at some point, um, <laughs> and this is happening frequently, um, we may have to sell our house to have enough money to live on and move in with our children or uh, assisted living. <laughs> and assisted living is very expensive. If there's an illness, if, if, as you know, your grandmother had Alzheimer's, if I had Alzheimer's or your dad had Alzheimer's or some kind of catastrophic illness where we could no longer care for ourselves in our home, we would have to have someone either come in and help us, which is very difficult to find for a reasonable cost, or we would have to go into a facility or move in with one of our children so that they could take care of us or have our grandchildren come and live with us, depending on how old we were and how old they were, so that someone would help take care of us. And that's always a fear if you're not, if you don't maintain your health, if, you're, if something happens, and you know, cancer or Alzheimer's, anything, then it's possible that your savings could be eaten into more. So we want to maximize everything we possibly can to have as much money as possible saved to, um, so we can retire and travel and do the things we want to do. And as or I move s- in a cardboard box with me. That says, and Your that being said, daughter who's a broke reporter. <laughs> that being said, um, we would have to look at that. And I know people who've had to go back to work after they retired because something happened in their lives that they needed more money to live on. And like I said before, um, we do plan to have some kind of retirement jobs, and that is that is a trend also that's happening. So so people are not fully retiring at 65 anymore. And as I said, well, some people are. A lot of people are retiring abroad because they know yes. their dollar will go further in some countries that have lower exchange rates. We could go to Panama. And that is, and I have a friend who's actually has a retirement home in Panama, and when he retires, that's where they're planning to live. Um, And a friend of my husband's, someone he worked with, also had a retired to Costa Rica. So it just depends if you really want to leave the States, but if my children are here and my grandchildren are here, I don't want to live in Costa Rica or Panama or anywhere else if my family's somewhere else. And that's a consideration if you're close to your children and, your, um, and potential grandchildren. So it sounds like it's not so much the aspect of time and how much, how long are we going to live as it is like the uncertainty of other factors and the what ifs. As long as you are, quote, conservative with your money, it sounds like you're not worried about how long you're going to live, just what's going to happen in those years you'll be alive. Right, the quality of life after retirement. That's, that's the true um, fear of me and, and a lot of baby boomers as we're retiring quickly. If there was anything about this topic that you would just want to like pass on to me as your daughter right now, what would it be? Um, stay out of debt. Start saving for your retirement as early as possible because you can put in a small amount in your early years, in your 20s and your 30s, on 40s, smaller amount that will grow a significant amount over the years. Um, Part of the problem that your dad and I had was the fact that we did not start saving for retirement in any any significant amount until we were in our 40s. 
And so the longer you retire, the longer you have to build that money up and the less you'll have to put in each month or each year to get to an amount. And, and um, you know, millennials that are your age will probably have to have multiples of millions of dollars um, to have. And that sounds like a lot of money today, but, you know, half a million dollars sounded like a lot of money when I, knew I was your age. And so, um, you know, with, with inflation or with the, the way that money, you know, looking at dollars today compared to dollars in the 70s and 80s, you know, it, it's, it's a big difference. So as we have grown older, the amount of money that it would take, the dollar amount has increased. So whereas we thought, okay, 500000 would be enough, that's not enough. It needs to be at least a million. Okay, thank you for joining us. We are going to take a short break, but when we get back, we'll be joined by Taylor Craig, an associate advisor at Rather and Kittrell, to talk to us a bit about student loan debt. Welcome back to 10 Talks Bedtime Stories. We're here with Taylor Craig, an associate advisor at Rather and Kittrell and a registered representative of the Security Service Network. And she's here to talk to us a bit about student loan debt. Do you have any statistics right now on um, how, many, how many students in this area may have student loan debt? You know, it's, it's hard to say when you just look at an area or geographical area, um, what I can tell you is nationally, we just recently passed a trillion dollars of outstanding student loan debt. So from a national level, um, it is it, it is a huge problem. Um, as far as our clients that we work with locally, um, we see some of it, um, obviously the retirees and pre-retirees that we're working with they're kind of long past it but those um, that are still working and still accumulating will see it absolutely yeah I saw um, there's a new student well I guess it's not that new but there's a student loan debt clock it's kind of like the national debt clock and it shows how much student loan spikes every second and it spikes in the U.S. it it increases by three thousand fifty five dollars every second and watching this happen is just Terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with with your clients, what is a rough estimate of the av- average amount of debt they come in with? So, again, it depends, much like everything else. But for those folks that um, have just completed their undergraduate degree, we typically see anywhere from twenty to 50000 in student loan debt balance. Um For those that went on to graduate school, specifically law school and medical school, you're well into six figures, Um, especially a lot of times a household will have two doctors or two lawyers. And then, you know, it's 
obviously combined debt at that point and quite significant um, for those professionals. So we've, we've seen a broad spectrum of it. When I see these people that are graduating in debt, like I can't even imagine, like I don't have student loan bills, but just with my other bills, I'm already living paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine what that must feel like with just having those numbers hanging over your head. I think the biggest thing um, that we're seeing, like I said, just from a national standpoint in the media and for me on a micro level standpoint with my peers and um, is that I call it a black cloud because that's what it is for a lot of folks, that black cloud that just follows them around. The biggest implication is that it ends up delaying so many other quote unquote milestones that they're supposed to be reaching in life, right? So the American mm-hmm. dream, graduate college, get married, buy a house, you know, two and a half kids and a golden retriever. <laughs> but they that's so delayed because of this student loan debt. And if you there's all sorts of, you know, articles and reporting out there on why, you know, why aren't millennials buying houses? They're we're the generation of renters or you know, one better living with our parents, whatever the case may be. And I think a lot of that boils down to student debt. Um, it's, you know, you, you can't expect someone nowadays to save that recommended 20% down payment for a home when, like you said, they can really barely make ends meet because of this debt. So, How much time on average do you see it taking some of your clients to pay off their student loans? Uh, undergrad and postgrad. Yeah. Um, so there are, with federal student loans, and sorry if I'm <laughs> jumping the gun a little bit, but there are a lot of flexible repayment plans that you can opt in and out of. There's, you know, specific time-structured plans. There's income-based plans. There's a slew of different options. I would say on average, um, probably 10 to 20 years, you know, depending on how aggressively the individual or the household wants to pay them down you know some I'd say the majority are extremely concerned with them but some folks you know you you can kind of look at it in a positive light that especially with the professionals with the lawyers and the doctors that we work with you know that piece of their financial picture that student loan debt enabled them to have the career that they have and to earn the income that they're earning so you know, they don't, um, might not look at it in such a negative light, so they may delay faster. Uh, quality of life is another big one, you know, for some people, especially in higher paying jobs, um, would prefer not to live paycheck to paycheck just to pay these student loans down. So it all depends, uh, varies by household, but I would say average 10 to 20 years. Yeah, and we were talking um, earlier with my first guest, with our first guest about, um, when when you have so much student debt, like somebody who might have six figures or mm-hmm. even, you know, five figures student debt, they, they might start seeing overlap and when they're trying to pay off their student loans and also save for retirement. And it can delay not just, you know, your your young adulthood milestones, but the ones that you've you literally get your job to make enough to retire someday. Right. And, you know, maybe because you like it, but right. <laughs> also, also <laughs> like that, that's the ultimate goal is people do what they want to do later in life and then they can, it takes them a lot, lot longer. Right. And we see, you know, you can almost um, come into this trifecta of just unfortunately a really hard place to be. You know, we've seen a lot folks that, graduate with significant student loan debt of their own 
as I mentioned before, delay maybe some home purchases or even having kids later on, once they have children, then they become wrapped up in saving for their children's education Mm -hmm. because of what they experienced on their end and maybe even what they're still experiencing. So then they might have their student loan debt. They might be trying to save for their own children's education. So you, you get these three pieces that a lot of people's, you know, financial plan doesn't necessarily have room for all three of those. So it's it's a big challenge for a significant part of the population. And I think, too, um, that there may be a misconception out there that this is just something that millennials are dealing with. And, and while the the amount of debt that recent graduates are recent graduates are experiencing is mounting like class of 2015 that just came out again the class with the highest amount of debt and I think we're gonna probably continue to see that go up every graduating class but you know two-thirds of folks paying on their student loans right now are over the age of 30 so this isn't just something um, that millennials or recent graduates are feeling this is people you know well into their working careers that are still dealing with so And it's even become a topic of political discussion. This campaign season, it seems like most candidates are recommending Mm -hmm. plans to help with student loan debt. Yes. It's interesting that you mentioned that. I try to follow politics really closely, um, probably to a fault. And I've I've never seen student loan debt be um, as front and center in an election as I am already for the 2016 election. But I think... What's what really fascinates me, and just to point out some things, um, private student loans are kind of a rare breed nowadays. Most people, I think it's over 90%, are opting for federal loans for a variety of different reasons. But you know, those are loans from the government, and um, you know, they're the ones that are earning money off of them. So, for instance. Right now, roughly, the student loan debt makes up about 45% of our government's federally owned financial assets. So if we're looking at our government's investment portfolio, if you will, it makes up a pretty big chunk. In 2013 alone, government revenue from student debt payments was around $51 billion. Um, so it's it'll be interesting to see how it does play out in the political arena Uh, because the government doesn't necessarily want to bite the hand that feeds them, but I do genuinely believe that they they want to help. Um, But it's such a significant revenue source for the government that I'm I'm not sure how much help they can really do, if that makes sense. Yeah, and if any legislation was introduced to to help with student loan debt, it would only be those federally funded student loans because they can't really have a say in the private companies right now. Right. Um, what, what's the main difference between private and federally funded student loans? I would say the main difference is flexibility most of the time. Um, federal student loans, a lot of the time you're going to see, first of all, lower interest rates, fixed interest rates, and much more flexible repayment options. And a lot of them um, can be structured around careers too. So, um, for instance, careers in education, there are sometimes breaks in the student loan debt. If you go into education, especially in certain um, metro areas of the country, I mean, they, they build in these incentives 
under the federal student loan program. Um, on the private side, the application process tends to be easier. A lot of times you can have a co-signer, you know, a parent co-sign for you, but we see the interest rate typically higher on average and variable. So, And they're usually unsubsidized, aren't they? Right. So it's not just becoming an issue for for the person who's taking the loan, but the co-signer at that point has exactly. an unsubsidized loan to exactly. deal with. And a lot of parents, you know, want to help their children and want to do the best for their kids. So, you know, I, I fear sometimes that parents might not know what they're signing up for as well mm -hmm. if, you know, by doing that. So, but like I said before, you know, a lot of private um, student loans are starting to kind of fade away is what, what we're seeing. Is there a is there a different default rate on federal and privately funded, or a difference in default rate? Not that I'm aware of. Um, I know the general default rate, just through, and not in one year in particular. I think it was over a seven year maybe time span, but is a range really between about twenty two and thirty five percent, and. What's really fascinating is that there's a higher default rate on the lower balance student loans. So um, back to, <laughs> sorry, back to the political arena, some of the proposals out there are centered around interest rates and decreasing interest rates on student loans, which the rates have actually been going down over the years, but increasing them further. And, you know, if we look at kind of a chart the lower balance loans having the highest default rate, if you were to do just a clean sweep um, lowering of an interest rate, then a lot of times the higher earners with the higher student loan balances are going to end up benefiting more just dollar for dollar. So, you know, while it sounds good in theory, who knows in practice how well it, if it would achieve what they want to achieve. Um, but yeah, the default rate is significant. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so back to kind of what you do, mm -hmm. you're you're a loan debt counselor then, right? It's a piece of what we do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we do um, really full scope wealth management. So any piece of our client's financial picture we're involved in. And a lot of times student debt is one of those pieces. What would kind of the general scope of advice or, um, or even a plan that you might give mm -hmm. to some of your, your people coming in with like massive student loan debt who were still looking at trying to find a secure job, who are mm -hmm. still looking at trying to move into um, an area of their lives in which they can, they can set up a steady way to pay back these loans. Right. Um, one of the most popular answers in our industry is it depends. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of folks aren't too happy with that, but it truly does depend because if you have a client who, um, feels very strongly against this debt and is willing to sacrifice and give up other aspects of, you know, their quality of life maybe to aggressively pay these down, then, you know, we're going to work with them to pay down $200,000 of student debt in 10 years. And it's going to be tough, but, you know, if, if they're committed, then we're going to work with them to do that. Um, on the other hand, you know, if we're working with a client who may have $30,000 of student debt at a low interest rate, 3 or 
then, you know, especially as it relates to prioritizing paying that off versus saving for retirement, you know, we're going to look at what we would expect to earn in retirement savings versus the interest rate that's accumulating on that student loan debt and try to prioritize that way. Um, that's often a big question we get. Where's the, where's the balance? Which, which do I do first? And the answer is it's more often than not, it's a balance because I feel like um, if you if you do just one either way, you're going to end up hurting yourself somewhere in the long run. Mm-hmm. So trying to find a balance between the two, easier said than done, I know, but is the best option. I know you said you don't have a whole lot of student debt, but mm-hmm. has having some at all kind of changed your perspective or made you feel more prepared to confront these cases? I think so. Um, I think acknowledging you know, what a, just a big problem it's becoming. I mean, I keep taking it back to the political conversation. No, that's but fine. I mean, that's that's what's important right now. Right. Something that is so important that presidential candidates are speaking about it and making speeches about it, I think is a worthwhile conversation. And while, you know, I have a small piece, um, a small piece of pain, People very near and dear to me have big pieces of pain. And again, I I think it just comes back to that unfortunate um, delaying of other hopes and dreams and goals that they have. And, um, you know, unfortunately, there hasn't been a great solution out there yet. And I think hearing what a lot of the candidates are speaking to, it's very solutions driven and it's very here's our problem let's give a solution, let's fix it. When I believe that we need to go deeper and maybe look to prevent it in the future, you know, a short-term fix maybe, but it's just going to keep happening, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. like I said before, the amount of student loan debt is just going up, 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 up. So we might need to look farther back on how we can control those college costs in the first place instead of trying to give them a solution once it's already happened. Absolutely. I hear from like my parents' generation and people older than them all the time saying that when they went to college, it was like $25 a credit hour, $50 a credit hour, even $100 a credit hour. I'm like, what a bargain. Yeah, we, we take that any day. <laughs> I can't imagine like tuition being lower than $250 an hour. Mm-hmm. We, um, just to give you some perspective, when we're doing, you know, when we're planning for our clients and, you know, if if one of their goals is to save for their children's education or maybe grandchildren's education, you know, we're assuming a 6% inflation rate on college costs every year. And that's double inflation. Mm-hmm. So it's it's significant. And, you know, we'd like to think that a tree is only going to grow so high, right? That at some point it's going to have to stop. But we just unfortunately don't know what that tipping point is going to be. And a lot of it, I think, is coming in with program fees at colleges. Mm-hmm. Like um, colleges know that a lot of even their own scholarships that they give to students will cover tuition, but they won't cover program fees. Mm-hmm. So that that's one drive. But also the fact that they're creating state-of-the-art recreation centers and right. putting walk-in closets in the dorm rooms and 
all these other things, they're they're driving up the cost of just program fees, which are completely outside of what you'd pay to class. Right. But you don't have a choice over whether you pay them or not. Exactly. You can't say I, I don't want the walk in closet and I cut that cost gym. off my bill. <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna use the gym. Uh yeah, I mean it's 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 a one size fits all, unfortunately. And we also see um with our clients and our clients' children that, you know, high graduating seniors, people that are preparing to go to college a lot of times have these these hopes and dreams of going to the out of state, bigger name, liberal arts schools and, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but there's a price tag on it, right? And especially those that go and maybe study careers that might not pay as well once they graduate. Like journalism. <laughs> That's what I did. <laughs> I don't know if I'd, I can think of some worse. <laughs> I won't list them off though, but it, uh, you know, and then, then you just have this double whammy cause you know, there's, there's a tremendous price tag on that experience and that diploma, but you have to look at what you're going to, it's an investment. What are you going to get back for the investment that you've made? So, and it's really hard to explain that to, to our idealist generation and that exactly. they're like, I was told to follow my dreams exactly. my entire life. I, I was don't... told I could do whatever I wanted and dream big. And, and right. why would anything, why, <laughs> why wouldn't I sacrifice anything to be able to do it? And then it, it, it comes back. Um, right. uh, adulthood <laughs> beats the optimism out of you. <laughs> so true. Well, um, thank you so much. Is there anything that you'd like to add? I don't think statistics-wise necessarily there's anything that I'd like to add. Um, I guess back to the solutions thing, for those that feel as though they're drowning and feel as that there's no help, I would I would kind of say two things. I would say hopefully this sheds some light that this is truly a national problem and more people than not are feeling the way that they're feeling and are experiencing the same things and are probably being kept awake at night. Um, but also just some two good tools I think that I'll offer out there that I like. There's a website, studentloanhero.com, um, that has just articles upon articles of how to navigate these and what best options might be. Um, and then there's also a woman out of North Carolina. She's actually an attorney by the name of Heather Jarvis, and she is an expert on all things student debt. So any any articles or research by her might be helpful for those that are seeking solutions or, or answers. So I would I would definitely offer those two items. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed your bedtime story. Be sure to tune in to 10 Talks next week for A Body at Rest Doesn't Always, where we'll discuss some of the chronic pain conditions, um, PTSD, and restless legs that we've heard from some of our respondents are keeping them awake at night. And remember, you can always find out more information about the 10 Words Project on our website, wuot.org. Or you can follow us on Twitter at 10 Words, that's with two N's, where we'll publish some of your anonymous responses to our current question every day. We also keep a running archive on Instagram. Again, that's at 10 words. And there you can see photos of all of our responses, the funny, the serious, the thought provoking, all of them. And 
Thanks a bunch to my mom, Beverly Crocker, and Taylor Craig for joining us on the show this evening. And a big thanks to everyone on the 10 Words team and all the good folks over at the University of Tennessee College of Social Work. The music for Bedtime Stories is by Todd Steed and the Sons of Fear. That's P-H-E-R-E, kind of like Sons Fear. If you like it, you can hear a whole lot more of it on Bandcamp. Sleep tight, Knoxville.